This is episode number 338. Why do we hide parts of ourselves with Ruth Rathblot? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Ads podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement that I wanted to make is an invitation to all of our listeners to our nine-week program called Curiosity, the Key to Rewriting Your Story. What this is, is a program that we've put together over the past six years of working with people from all over the world and helping them rewrite different parts of their story, the story of their past, the story of their present, the story of their future, the story of the hardship, the story of the temporary defeat that they've encountered along the way, the story of the life that they've always dreamed of yet did not know how to put it together. If you would like to know more details regarding this particular program, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. So I know that you and I were talking about this briefly before I hit record, and it's this topic of hiding and non-hiding, and how do you know when you're doing one and you're not doing the other? And I'm curious, maybe the best way to even start this conversation off is, when do you know that you are hiding? And what is that? Is that a feeling? Is it a knowing? Is it something else that I'm not aware of? Yeah. So I think that it's um, it's a little bit of both. I think that hiding can be something that we do and we're not conscious that we're doing it. It's when people ask us questions. I've had people share that they hide their education background because they're afraid of someone judging them or rejecting them. Um, I've had people say they don't tell their age at certain in certain jobs in certain industries because they're afraid of the discrimination or the, even the the idea that oh they won't people view them differently and so I think we hide parts of ourselves because of that fear of judgment and rejection and what people will think in terms of ability and then there are those of us Oleg that hide consciously. I was born with a limb difference and I hid it in my pocket starting at the age of 13 for 25 years. And I hid it because of those same fears and because I wanted to just fit in. And that's why I, and I think many of us are just trying to fit in. So I think to your point, hiding is something that we do unconsciously and we almost get used to doing it because of those things that we fear about ourselves. And then often it's conscious because I don't want someone to know that part about me because I'm afraid they'll make a judgment. And it seems like after a while, it becomes a repetitive behavior. 
something that if you do long enough, it just becomes all you know, and then that becomes the norm. And I found that throughout my own journey, the, the challenging part of that journey has been to try and understand what is the origin story? Where is this coming from? Yes, I've done this for however many years, but why am I really doing it? And that's something that I'm curious. I don't know how many people are aware of it. I'm sure there are blind spots within even my own story where I am doing things that don't ultimately serve me, right? Yeah, no. And I think I equate hiding to lying because it's a lot like lying in the sense of not because of, yes, you're covering part of yourself, but because how easy it is to then start to put something on top of that. Because the more I hid, the more, the harder it was to stop hiding. Just like, you know, those of us, and I share this often, um, lying, you know, when you, let's say you have plans with a friend and then all of a sudden that day comes that you're supposed to go out with that friend and you say, oh, I don't really feel like going out. So you come up with a lie to say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling well. And then they call to check on you the next day and you say, oh yeah, what was that lie again that I was going to, which way do I say, oh, I think it was food poisoning and we've all done it. Um, Or, oh, I think it's allergies or, you know, a whole range of answers that we come up with. And then even then, so that's the lie on top of the lie. And then sometimes if you've gone far enough with the lie, they check on, they say something or check in with you a year later and say, remember the time you had food poisoning, you've had food poisoning. And you're like, oh my God, I lie. Like, so it gets harder to unlie and it gets harder to unhide because now you almost, it's like a surprise factor or why weren't you telling the truth to begin with? And so that's absolutely. And, and I, hear you a hundred percent. What's the origin story? Where do we, where did it start? Like, where's the, we unravel the necklace, not like, where does it start? Um, when we peel back, why do you think we do that? Why do you think we, not we, but some of us lie to even those who are closest to us? I mean, about things that not life-changing by any means, like not wanting to go to dinner, right? Instead of telling the truth, hey, I just don't want to do this right now, because I do the same thing. I, I will, I will do the same thing with my friends. I do the same yeah, thing with parents, yeah. colleagues, whoever it is, right? And I oftentimes am caught in this space afterwards where I start to think, why did I do that? Why couldn't I just tell the simple truth that I simply didn't want to do X, Y, and Z today? Instead, I created this elaborate story that then I'm going to have to remain committed to for whatever duration of time, right? <laughs> Possibly yeah. forever, because you don't know when that instance is going to get brought up again. Right. And I think we do it for a couple of reasons. I think the first is, you know, I think we hide for the fear of judgment and fear of rejection, like I said before. And then I think we do it because we think it's going to make it easier for someone, right? We think that there's this piece like, I hid my hand because in some ways I made it easier for people not to have to deal with it. Right. So there's that piece. And then there's the piece of when you're talking about, yes, we lying to our friends or colleagues or whoever about making plans. I think we, it's easier than telling the truth because we don't want to hurt them. Like, Oh, I don't really want to go out tonight. It's not necessarily because of you. It's because I don't want to do it, but it's easier for me to share something to lessen the blow of canceling a plan. And what I'm, I would talk about, and what I talk about is that so many of us are hiding parts of ourselves and often like, we think we're the only ones doing it. 
right? Like, so when you, when I said that, um, oh, when you cancel plans with your friends, you immediately said you nodded and you laughed. You're like, yeah, I do that too. And how do we do that? Probably did that yesterday. Right. Right. Now, you're, now your friends will know. Here's the truth. Now telling. I can remember what the story I told them. <laughs> right. That's the hard part. And that's the thing about hiding is you have to, it's, it's exhausting and it's lonely because you do have to remember the things and you're constantly worrying and forecasting next steps so you don't get discovered. So that's, and what's been really interesting in, as I've dug into the space in writing my book single-handedly, I found that 61% of us hide parts of ourselves in the workplace. So this isn't just, oh, I'm not going out with my friends tonight. It's deeper than that. It's people hide, again, they hide their education. They hide their age. They hide their family backgrounds. They hide their disabilities, whether it be a visible difference like mine or invisible differences like mental health journeys. I've had people share, as I start to share out my difference and tell people about my hiding, people always come up, Oleg, and say what they're hiding or where they have unhid. And I mean, it's from someone who came up to me after a workshop keynote and said, I don't talk at work. And I said, why? And he said, because I have a stutter and I don't want people to know that about me at work. Or the person that I talked to who was, telling me like I had put a poll on LinkedIn to kind of challenge that Deloitte 2013 study that said 61% of us are hiding. And I put a poll on LinkedIn to see if that still holds true. Cause I actually think that number is higher. Um, I think so many of us to where we even started this conversation are hiding parts of ourselves. And it's almost like we don't know. And Oleg, she said back to me, she said, you put that poll on LinkedIn and I answered no. And I said, yeah, you know, I kind of noticed that. And she said, but after talking to you, I realized I am hiding parts of myself. And I said, okay, so I'm curious why you answered no. And then what are you hiding? And she said, Ruth, I am one of those people who gets on these Zoom calls and I give my full opinion. I don't hold back. And we all know that type, you know, that use this platform as their, their sanctity of opinion. And she said, but what I realized is, I was hired during COVID and my, the team that I'm on doesn't know two things about me. They don't know that I'm immobile from the waist down because they only see me on this box and they don't know that. And I said, well, why are you hiding that? And she said, because I'm afraid that if I share that with people, they won't invite me to do things after work. When we start going back to the office, they'll think, oh, we have to accommodate her and we'll have to figure out a different plan. I'm worried that they're going to think that I'm high maintenance where I'm going to have to have an accommodation at work that's going to cost the company money. So I don't want them to, I don't want to not have my job um, or not. I didn't want to not get hired. And the other piece is, she said, I'm also hiding that I have a child who has a disability. And I hide that because often parents get blamed for their children's behavior. Like they can't control it. And she said, so I don't want them to think I'm not a good mom. And I also don't want my job to think that I can't do the job because I'm going to medical appointments with my child who needs them. I can balance both. So Oleg, I share that because we hide in such intimate ways, parts of ourselves that it's exhausting, it's lonely, but if someone knew, they might be able to support us in a different way. 
right? I don't even know where to begin. I think the first thing that kind of just blew my mind is actually in regard to polls. I kid you not. I have never seen it just like you described, like it finally clicked. Mm. Using polls and platforms like LinkedIn to create business or create conversations how you just, I don't, I don't know. It's something just made sense. Like in how you said it, I never thought about actually contacting the people that engage with your polls and we were reaching out to them directly. Yeah. We were, it's it's literally a conversation starter. Yes. If they pick an option, just ask a question. Why did you pick that? Or just, I'm curious about it. Right. yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> it's then it, you find out why why the answer, and then it's not like you have the mm. most people are going to change their minds, but you have the opportunity to engage, and not yeah. just with the negative back and forth, right? Because I think that tends to some also happen where you know people will very much stick to their opinion, but can we be curious and can we be kind about our curiosity mm. um, to understand the why? Ruth, I never thought about it this way. I remember cool. this was however many weeks or months ago hearing about how polls is the new feature that you can utilize to build business, to build engagement. And I've tried it here and there, but I've never tried it how you just described it. The fact that you actually engage with the people who engage with the poll. I mean, that is a direct conversation starter. Yeah. And it's, it's a way funny to how these conversations like you, you hear it so many times and then finally it's like, boom, something clicks. And, and it makes sense in a way that it, it literally never made sense in before. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I'm, I'm curious about, kind of going back to hiding and invisibility and a lot of aspects like that, when it comes to your own personal life, so I know you mentioned the fact that you chose to hide your arm as a way to not have to answer questions that you may not want to or start a conversation at a time where you didn't want to. In looking at yourself, what do you consider yourself as? Do you consider yourself someone who has two hands, one hand? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I think I, it's interesting. It's been a process um, and I'll share two pieces. to That's a really good question. I like that question a lot. I see myself as whole person. I see myself as someone with a disability and a limb difference. And I would say, I also do see myself as someone with two hands, which is interesting because this hand helps me out a lot in everything I do. It carries probably more things than this hand. Um, It is, yeah, it's stronger. It's strong. I will say I was on the phone with a prosthetics company the other day because I'm thinking about what is the latest technology? Because I had two times in my life where I tried a prosthesis and honestly, the uncertainty of it falling off and it, it making it more awkward than this, I'd rather hide. I, at that time in my life as a teenager, I would rather have hidden it so that I didn't have to deal with it falling off or causing some more difficult conversation. But as I now have accepted part that part of myself, I was on the phone with a prosthetic company and thinking about what's the technology that you're using? Because there's some really cool, innovative prostheses out there now. And he asked me a similar question, Oleg, which was, when can you visualize yourself with a full hand on this hand? 
And it literally took my brain. When you say your head just exploded around the LinkedIn thing, <laughs> took my head. Like, I was like, I have never pictured myself with a hand here and it moving. Like, and it was such a interesting brain map or brainscape to kind of picture that. So I would say I am whole. This is how, because we, when I talk to kids, I will just segue that when I, when we talk to kids about difference and kids ask, like they're not afraid to ask, right? They have no filter. They're very blunt. Mm -hmm. They're very blunt, but it's not coming typically out of a mean place. It's coming out of a curious place. Like, Hey, can I ask you a question? And it's often what happened to your hand, which is the blunt part. And what I say is, this is the way I was born. We all have things that are different about us. Mine just happens to be outside because the truth is all of us have differences and our differences are actually what are going to connect us at the end of the day. Because if we accept that, then we understand, wow, well, how, how is that different piece come to my piece? How can we connect? When did that make sense to you? Or when did that begin to make sense to you as far as we're all born with different things? And I mean, we're, we all are different. Yeah. I think that's that's fair to assume that every single one of us would none of us are the, the same exact replica of one another. And I'm curious in your case, when did you start to look at difference through this lens? I think it probably was when I started having to answer the question more and more, especially as I I worked with young people for a really long time in my career, over 25 years. I've worked with young people and the questions are always there. Um, and I think that was the first time as a way to kind of help them understand that this is not scary. This is not just, you know, oh, wow, she's different. No, let's think about your own differences. Like, let's reflect back almost like a mirror. What are the things that make you different? Whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's body type, whether it's sexual orientation, like, let's think about the things that you make, because this is just a tool when I talk about myself to get you to examine where do you feel that you're different? So I would say it was in working with young people um, that I started that kind of, and it was almost probably an answer at first out of need. And then mm. I understood it. What were the conversations like in school when you were a kid? You know what? It's funny. As I was writing the book, I, I guess there's two things and it, I thought that my hiding started when I went to a new high school, a new co-ed high school. And, you know, like many 13 year olds, we, I wanted to fit in like most of us do. And it's actually healthy development. You know, you individuate from your parents and you connect with your peers. That's the goal of adolescence. <laughs> and so I wanted to fit in. And so mm -hmm. I started noticing people noticing my hand and I made this impulsive decision on a school bus the first day of school to just hide it. What I thought was just going to be for the day, it ended up being for the next 25 years. And when I was looking and writing my book, but even before that, I had gone to, because I wanted to understand that question. Like I wanted to understand when did this really start? I remember my father has told me that there was a, in first grade, there was a bully who said something. Apparently I came home and shared that. And my father went to the school and dealt with that child. I don't remember that today, but when I, what I did is I started to dig deeper because I wanted to understand the question, like, where did it start? And I went to actually regression therapy, which was where they take you back to spaces in your life around trauma. 
And I, again, I pictured that 13 year old getting on that bus. And when we went further back, I pictured this little 10 year old who started a new school, who was sitting in a gym auditorium and the girls, the older girls around her noticed her hand and asked, like we're whispering and then asked what happened to your hand. And I remember it was the first time someone had noticed it and I was aware of it and I started to get self-conscious about it. And so, yeah, when we peel back the layers and we do that work on ourselves and start to look at what was the original trauma or where was the original thing, that's where it goes back to is this little kid who was sitting alone in a new school, had no friends in because she was new, had no teachers that she knew. So she was navigating this world by herself. And that was me, that little kid. And I think so many of us do that. You know, we see something different about ourselves and we kind of cover it up or we deny it or we try to change it. Um, and we don't always remember that, but regression therapy was amazing to kind of bring me back to that little Ruthie who was sitting there alone. And how did you hide it? I'm just trying to imagine. Yeah. Um, I got really good at it. I hid it a lot in my pocket. So every outfit I had always had pockets, whether it was a formal dress to a dance. Yeah. Oh, always every outfit I had had pockets. I also benefited and sometimes didn't benefit from longer sleeve sweaters. It was, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So the eighties were a long, you know, big sweaters with shoulder pads sometimes and longer. I would always, my sleeves would always be longer. And so I would just make sure that my sleeves were longer. I hid it under book, book bags. I hid it behind purses, like anywhere that it wouldn't show. If I was on vacation, I would hide it under a hat, like just so that people wouldn't see it. I wow. thought I was literally obsessed with hiding mm-hmm. um, to the point that, yeah, I got really good at it. <laughs> Nobody knew. How do you think, this is just so fascinating for me. How do you think a lot of this impacts your life right now? Does it impact, I don't want to go too much into your personal life or anything, but does it impact the way uh, you date people? Does it impact, you know, just certain conversations? Because I I can only assume just based on the conversation you and I are having and based on my own experience, not everyone views differences like you and I do, Mm -hmm. right? Some people shy away from difference. Some people, when they see, I've seen this happen to, to me many times. When people see difference, they will walk away. They turn the shoulder. And so I'm curious, in your case, because the difference is visible, you know, it's not something that you figure out 45 minutes into the conversation in something that you see within the first seconds of seeing the individual. How does that impact you? Yeah. No. And I will say I was one of those people who turned away from difference for a long time in my life because I didn't accept it about myself. Right. So when we don't want to see things in ourselves, we don't want to see things in others either. So I put blinders on to seeing difference and disability. Um, I will say that my journey where I am now is about unhiding and how I've learned to unhide. And it took someone coming into my life because I had tried Oleg for so many years of my life to unhide on my own and to, you know, I promised myself after high school and going to college, oh, in college, you're not going to hide. Oh, in that job, you're not going to hide. Oh, in this, when you meet someone new or that first date, you're just going to have it out. 
And it never worked because I would just fall back to what I was comfortable with, which was hiding it. It took someone coming into my life and me trusting that person to show me how to unhide. He literally allowed me to start to look at my hand, to touch it, to actually see it. It had been so buried in my pocket that I hadn't actually ever looked at my hand. I didn't take care of it. I neglected it. It gets frostbite every year because I didn't know how to take care of it as a younger person. Um, So as I think about where I am today, my journey is around unhiding. And I will say, yes, it does affect still those pieces of my life that are probably more personal. So, you know, we think about dating, right? Think about dating apps. We all put our, we think about social media. We all put our facade of what we want people to see on social media or on dating app, right? And then you actually, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You go on a date and the person spills a lot of baggage and you're like, wow, I did not know that. That was not in your profile. (laughs) That's not how, or maybe you go on a few dates and they start to share that's the same thing. Like I want, I don't, I wrestle with the idea of, do I put it on a dating profile or do I put it like, what does that mean? Because will people reject me because of similar to how we reject people for size in terms of height, in terms of body, in terms of color of hair, like color of skin. How do I, I want people to see me. And so I wrestle with it and I think about, yeah, putting it out there, putting it not out there. Um, It's hard to now though, go back into that box of hiding um, for me. So it comes up pretty quickly before a first date or on a first date always now, Um, because it's not, I I just don't, I don't necessarily want to be with someone who has um, challenged, challenge is challenged with difference and disability. And so it's, that's hard. I understood, but one of the things that I learned in therapy was, can I allow questions for people who have, you know, because presenting someone with your difference, whether again, it's a visible difference like mine or a mental health challenge, a neurodiversity challenge can allow, we can allow for questions about it, right? Because not everyone has experience with it. Not everyone has looked toward difference. Like you're saying, we look away from it, right? Not everyone's looked toward it. So how can we create the space so people can ask questions out of curiosity and kindness? And because for a long time, I would just say it and then I would move on and not allow someone to kind of talk with me about it. Like, what was that like for you? What's that? You know, how do you, what do you think about it? Like, I didn't allow that. Um, But now I do. It's like, how do we, and that's part of the unhiding process is not just letting someone in to teach you how to love yourself and how to love those parts you find unlovable, but then starting to connect with people so that they can share their stories with you around places where they have felt different. Mm. What makes a good question or one that you open up to? That's a great question. Um, I do think some of we can learn a lot from kids um, with their, I don't know if it's always bluntness, but their curiosity, which is, hey, what happened? Um, I don't, I think sometimes it's as easy as that. Um, what happened to your hand? Um, I'm someone who appreciates that question because it allows me then to share and I don't have to do it on my own. Like, hey, this is what happened. This is my hand. Is that? Like somebody asking and being open. 
though I respect people with disabilities specifically who don't want that, who don't want to blur that boundary and don't want you to ask. Um, so I do think it's a case by case. And it's kind of, I also think that if you're going to ask a question, how are you thinking about that question toward yourself, right? Like, are you willing to share parts of yourself that are different um, if I'm going to do that too? So I, I think the question, yeah, I like that. I'm curious, what question would you think would be a good one? Because that's a, it's a that, tough one for people. I think for me, at least what I've observed, yes, there's an element to being blunt and having that childlike curiosity. I've sometimes find, found that childlike curiosity, it's, it's not the best in some situations because it is very straightforward. And I have learned that I think there's a combination of a little bit of everything. There's some people who like the straightforward question, just ask me what happened to my hand. And then there's some people that like the kind of angled approach, right? Like steering the conversation a little bit, almost to the point where you begin to sense where's the conversation going and how do I interject that point in the right. dialogue? So I, I think there's probably yeah. like multiple ways to do it depending on the person. But I personally, and a, a lot of it also has to do with conditioning. I've conditioned myself to be a thinker. I've conditioned myself to go deep into an experience it's just, it, this is my day-to-day -day life. I, I don't, I know for a fact, I don't perform well in situations where it's superficial conversation. Yeah. How is the weather when really, you know, it's, the answer is going to be the same. If you right. look at it or I look at it or anyone else looks at it, yeah. it's the, it's the same exact number for all of us. Right. And so for me, I find that in answering some of those questions, I experience immediate tension. And, and mm -hmm. part of it, frustration, because I feel like there's so much more in life that could be discussed and shared other than the things that we all have, in my opinion, relatively access, relatively easy access to. And there's only so much that you could say about that subject, right? 76 degrees. I mean, right, right. What does that mean? Do we right. go from there? Right. What was it yesterday? What's it going to be tomorrow? Uh, what was it last year? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the I definitely appreciate depth in conversation and I appreciate curiosity in terms of trying to understand things. I mean, you know, from early on, there was someone that I dated who was like, well, how do we strengthen it then? Like how now that I know about it and he, he happened to be a, a sports coach, like a strength coach. And he was like, oh, how do we strengthen it then? Like that's the next level, right? Though compare that to somebody that I dated who wanted to bring it up and couldn't find it until he talked about his cat who had three limbs, three legs. I was like, that's not the way to like, that's the circular. Like he was like, oh, did I ever talk to you about my cat? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard about your cat. And then it was like, and then it, I never, I was not going to open up with that. Like I would have much preferred the Hey, what's happening? Like, how come I never see your left hand? Like, what's happening? I, and it was a, you know, one on one, not in a group, not to expose, not to, um, you know, uncover someone, um, but actually to discover and to think about, like, how do we, how can I help? How can I help support? Not out of pity, but like, how can we, I, how can I help you? I think the other piece is, you know, you asked, around where I am today with it. I think the other piece is, and how it affect, affected me. I think people who have faced differences and disabilities 
are the creative solution solvers that we're looking for, right? Because we've had to, we have, with all that worrying and forecasting next steps, we are constantly thinking outside the box. We are constantly thinking about creative solutions. I have never thought about it that way. Yeah. It's it, that should be a mind blow, right? Because it's (laughs) those, those people who have faced challenge have had to think about how to get things done when that's not the way sometimes the world works. So whether it's me being at an event and holding a plate of food and having to shake someone's hand and take a selfie at the same time, how do I get that done? Like, how do I think about it? And I use yeah, that. Can you explain how do you get that done? <laughs> sometimes very differently. And sometimes in front of my blouse is not what it should be. Um, but yeah, it, you get it done. And I think also I will say people who have differences and disabilities sometimes have been praised for overachieving, right? Because we've had to think like I got a lot of kudos and praise for having for overachieving for and that's not that can be exhausting also but it's part of who I am it's part of how I've had to I in my head in my mind make up for what I didn't want people to think about my ability so in terms of that yeah I was constantly achieving so that people wouldn't think I was unable so that brings up a really good question at least I think it's a good question because it's something that I've dealt with for many, many years. And that's what do you do or how do you deal with situations where people only see you for the difference or the adversity that you faced? Yeah. And therefore that's the only story they create about who you are. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know what? I don't know that I know the answer to that. I think that there are going to be people who do think that um, and you, you may not be able to change everyone, right? But you can change your reaction to it. Um, so those people who only see me as having a disability or only seeing that that's a piece of me, then they're missing out on the rest, right? Because they're not even open to maybe seeing the other parts because I have to continue mm. to live my life. Like yeah. I've been a leader and educator uh, for a long time part of my passion is also traveling and adventure. So that if you're miss, if you're only seeing me as this, you're missing out on all of this, right? The mentor, the leader, the traveler, the one that wants to craves adventure. And to your point, the one who likes to be, have conversations that have depth. So if you're only going to stay in that narrow lane, you're missing out. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to say that I'm going to try to change people's opinions. I'm going to continue to be who I am and be my authentic self. And I know that we say that a lot, that word authentic, but like, I don't know that you can, other than they have to have the curiosity to want to know more. Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to be myself. I don't know. Do you find that too? Or how do you manage through that? Bits and pieces. I, I found this, this was about three or four years ago. It kind of clicked for me that I think, at least based on my experience, some people who have faced adversities such as my childhood, the time that you were born or many other people, I have found that many of us are put on a, almost a pedestal, I mm-hmm. think. And, and I think the more you in tune I became, I started to be, I started to see this almost everywhere. Think about it, sports, right? The number 
the amount of coverage or exposure someone gets who wins a race that doesn't have a leg or doesn't have an arm or can't uh, shoot a basketball the same exact way. And something that you mentioned that actually helped me see it through a completely different lens and that's having had a lot of these adverse experiences, it put the two of us, as well as I'm sure many other people, in opportunities where we had to learn how to operate differently in a world, right? Mm-hmm. Like in your case, I mean, I don't know, you might have been left-handed your whole life, right? right? And had to learn how to become right-handed. So there are just so many different things that you had to figure out as well as I have. <clears throat> and I know for me, initially, it was when I became aware of it, aware of it, it was a bit challenging to accept. It was a bit challenging to accept because I didn't want to be known for that story. Mm. I had, I felt that I had outgrown elements of that story and I was ready and willing to move past it into a new narrative. And yet every single time I was asked to come and speak and share, I was asked about that story. And so mm. it, it, it almost became, no matter what I said about the things outside of that origin story, it always led to it. Whenever there was a Q&A at the end, it was always, how did, you, how did you do that when you were nine? What did it take to leave that country? What was adoption like? What was this? What was that? And so that's where I became really curious as far as what is it about people that draws them to adversity? draws them to fear those moments of desperation hopelessness and i don't know i don't have an answer to that i think and i think i imagine it's part of it is that they crave wanting to understand their own differences right so they almost in some ways in the things possibly Mm -hmm. overcome um or overcame like i think that's a piece of it i think there's Mm a sense of well can i see my like can I understand what you've done? Because maybe it makes it easier to understand what I do, like, or I have, what I've gone through and I'm not ready to share that part of myself because wow. Or I think people also question their strength. Like, and I think people, you know, there's that fine line of it being quote unquote inspirational. And actually, if we dig deep, sometimes are people afraid that they wouldn't have the strength um, yeah. or they wouldn't have the, well, how often do we even know our strength? Let's right. be honest. Until it's tested. Until it's tested. That's when we get to know our strength. I follow a mantra for myself, though, that I think that our differences are our greatest gifts. They're the things that make us unique. They make us stand out. So I, for the first time in my life, over the last few years, I am so proud of my hand. Like somebody said to me the other day, they said, what they, you know, those kind of questions that you see on Facebook, et cetera. And they said, what's the thing you're most proud of about your body? And, you know, at different points of your life, you have different pieces of how you see, how you view yourself. And I'll have to say, well, like my hand is what I'm most proud of, not because of um, the challenge of it, but because of the strength of it. Like it's where it's like, when I actually realized how strong it was and how much it's, it's guided me and how proud I am to, to, to have it as part of me. Like it connects me to people in such interesting ways. If I had two hands, no one would remember me like maybe, you know, like, and I wouldn't connect as easily. I was in the airport in uh, Texas a few weeks, a week ago, and it's what connected me to the table next to me because we started talking about differences and places that we hide. 
I don't know that I would have that conversation if, and it's connected me to kids in such interesting ways because then they can tap into the places where they don't always feel so proud of themselves. Um, and they can see it as, wow, sh- look at what she's doing. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I love my hand in a different way than I ever imagined I would. And trust me, there were years where I said, wow, I wish it would just be so much easier to have two hands like your life. But I think that's the beauty of age is you get to understand yourself differently. And it's the beauty of introspection and depth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to a point that I wanted to touch upon. And that's where does this process begin? I mean, I know it's a loaded, loaded question, probably with many different pillars of it, but where does it begin as far as coming to terms with your own difference, understanding that you are different and then making whatever it is that you choose out of it. Yeah, no. And I I think about the people who are listening to this podcast and who are thinking about overcoming odds. And I think it starts with uh, letting someone in. I think it starts with owning a piece or not even owning a piece, but thinking about the places that you hide in your life or the places where you have felt different. And then it's starting to with one person and letting them in. Um, and letting them, whether it's a friend, whether it's a someone who is can be a potential partner in life, or whether it's even you know finding a group online. Like we talk often about online being you know a difficult space, and like oh, we, there's bullying and there's things. There are also spaces for support. I can share that um, one group that I got connected with. I was randomly in a pharmacy. And I looked over and there was a woman with an arm similar to mine. And I started talking to her and I talked about, you know, where she might've hidden and where I hid and just trying to understand the story. And she said, well, at the, toward the end of the conversation, Oleg, she said, well, you know, there's a whole group of us. It's called the Lucky Finn Project. And it's, there's a Facebook group. I, I didn't know what that meant. Like, first of all, I'd never used the word limb difference that she talked about. And I'd never heard of lucky Finn project. And sure enough, I went home and looked online at that point. That was about four years ago. There were 30,000 people who all had similar hands. And I was like, wait, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. And now that group is over 70,000 people and it's kids to families, to adults who have limb differences. Like it's this whole community. And what's amazing is they actually have a get together once a year, a pic- a huge weekend picnic outside of Detroit. And I've been for three times. And that connection is super powerful, those shared experiences. So finding others who may be challenged with what you're challenged with, where you feel different. That's the beauty of online to me is that support network, that there are mm-hmm. places to find others who are going through similar things. That shared experience is super powerful. Mm. So it's starting with connection. Where can people people find your book and where can people connect with you? Yep. So my book is called Single-Handedly. I just happen to have it right next to me. Um, It's on Amazon. It's called Single-Handedly, Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. Did you actually type out the book with one hand? Yeah. Um, I also, yeah, for sure. You know, yes, definitely. And I also used Otter which is this, you know, voice recognition where you can also speak only because I do, I did everything first hand long hand Cause I like to, that's, I think there's a connection between hand and heart and head. 
So I wrote everything out and then dictated it to Otter and then typed. I've been typing a lot um, to the point that some of my friends are like, say, there's not a lot on your text anymore. You've run out of words. I'm like <laughs> I've run out of words. I have a book. <laughs> um, and the book just hit international bestseller this week. So it's awesome. And That's I hope awesome. that it impacts people. And I hope that, yeah, as you have people listening, if there are places in their life that they're hiding, they can realize they're not alone because that's the joy of unhiding is the connection that we make to others. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to your future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next time.